research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. The co-host of the program, as always, Eric Eggers. Eric, how are you? I'm excellent, Peter. Good to be with you. I'm very excited for today's program because this is a guest that has referenced your book and his book. I like when you authors just reference each <laughs> other in your various literary tomes, and uh, it's a really big deal for us to have him on the show. Yeah, it is. We're really honored to have Newt Gingrich on the program, of course, a former speaker of the house wrote a terrific book last year called defeating big government socialism and the thing i love about newt is having studied politics and been involved for 30 years generally newt there are leaders that fit into two categories one the group they're big idea big thinkers and number two they're the politicians that actually get something done very rarely do you find people that are big idea uh, really grasp the essence of the problem but also actually know how to get things done in Washington. And you're somebody that has done that. So we wanted to bring you on today to talk about the current situation in Washington, the situation with the speaker, uh, and the, the large question I think that's looming around a lot of people, which is, why is it that government does not seem to shrink? Why do we not seem to get many conservative victories? So, Newt, welcome to the program. It's great to see you, and thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be with you, and I think that's one of the core questions of our survival. It, it is. I mean, you look at the national debt, uh, you look at the size and growth of government. Uh, it's not changing. Um, there's a lot of frustration out there. I understand Speaker Johnson has a razor thin majority. We don't have the Senate. We certainly don't have the White House. How would you rate how House Republicans are doing given the massive problem that we face and given that the, in a sense, the cards that they have been dealt, what could they be doing better? What do you think they're doing a good job of doing? Well, I mean, I, th I think, first of all, there's a natural tension between wanting to get things solved and what the current system makes possible. So the people who are the most frustrated tend to step out of the game. Uh, they're not available. They don't, they won't help. Uh, they mostly criticize. And one of the great problems of the Freedom Caucus is that it spends about half its time tearing up its own side. It's like having uh, an uh, offensive tackle who tackles his own quarterback. Uh, and I think that that's a challenge. I think second, um, you can use the House better than the Senate as a tool if you're the Speaker because you have dramatically more power than anybody in the Senate. So uh, Kevin McCarthy was beginning to do that before eight members, 4% of his conference, decided to side with the Democrats to kick him out. Uh, but McCarthy had understood that the Speaker has the ability to not schedule anything. And so ultimately, the President has to negotiate with the Speaker to get anything done. And one of the keys, I think, for Mike Johnson is to recognize that he doesn't need to negotiate with Schumer. He doesn't need to negotiate with McConnell. He needs to negotiate with Biden and nobody else. Uh, and if he reaches an agreement with Biden, then it's Biden's problem to get it through the Senate, not Johnson's. 
but he shouldn't let himself get talked into some deal where he has to carry equal responsibility in a situation where he doesn't have equal So power. why do you think that offensive tackles are now tackling their quarterbacks? And is that a unique phenomenon to when you were speaker, or is it because you think that they're going to get more attention and they somehow think they will grow their own careers by tackling their quarterback, to use your metaphor? I mean, what is it about today? Well, I, I, I think both things. I mean, I you know, I ended my career uh, having – Spent 20 years in the House, 16 years growing a majority, and four years as Speaker, the first Speaker in 40 years on the Republican side. But I ended my career because about 18 members decided that uh, they didn't like the way I did things, and they were unhappy that we weren't getting enough done, although we had balanced the budget for four straight years, but that somehow that wasn't conservative enough. Uh, and so they just said flatly they wouldn't vote for me. I mean, I, I would not have had the ability, much like Kevin McCarthy. So I've, I've watched this. The group of them began to drive Boehner out of the office for the same reason. Uh, the only person who survived was Hastert, and that was because he was serving with a Republican president uh, and uh, was a good Illinois politician who was uh, endlessly ruthless. Uh, but but uh, other than that, I think what you have is we, we are – we're a party of people who really want to change Washington. So the level of frustration is enormous because Washington is a city which has grown enormously powerful, which is capable of protecting itself. And Washington has to be seen not just as the bureaucracy or as the Democrats, but uh, the news media, uh, the interest groups, the lobbyists. I mean, the total weight of the left uh, is, a, is a huge, huge challenge. And I think uh, one of the projects I'm working on I describe as the crisis of 2026, which is to say, let's let's say that uh, Trump continues this, the momentum he just got in in uh, Iowa, and let's say he becomes the nominee, and let's say that uh, he wins a big election, and we pick up the Senate and we expand our margin in the House. The question then is, are you prepared for the next two years to take on the left, which is going to go crazy? I mean, they they will see this as Armageddon. This in their world. This will be literally life and death, and they will do anything they have to to try to stop uh, a new uh, Trump administration. They, they don't want to make America great again. Uh, that's the exact opposite of where the left's head is. Uh, they want to drown America with illegal immigrants. They want to shrink America inside international organizations. They want to eliminate American history. Uh, and they want to raise a generation that despises its own. Yeah, and that seems to me an important part of this, Newt. I mean, you look back at, at, at you know, uh, Tip O'Neill when he was Speaker of the House or Walter Mondale uh, in the Senate or as a presidential candidate. I mean, uh, they were sort of traditional liberals, not classical liberals, but traditional liberals. And there was certainly the left, but the intolerant left has really taken over the leadership of the Democratic Party. I mean, if you look at Nancy Pelosi, I mean, this is not somebody who wants to compromise, who wants to move slowly. So it seems to me that is part of the challenge. And under that pressure, uh, the Republicans um, crack. Um, and I think the other ingredient here is you have the, you know, the rise of sort of uh, celebrity figures within the Republican Party in the House that are, you know, building up large followings on Twitter and on social media. And that becomes, I would argue, frankly, a motivation for some of them 
to your point earlier, Newt, you're going to get a lot more attention. But that's my that's why I asked. Yeah. Because I feel like, yeah, are you getting more attention? Are you building you are. your brain? Yeah. Do they see like Twitter followers equals political clout now? Right. Which is not something Mr. Gingrich had to deal with when he was speaker. And 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 these individuals are not, I think, uh, Newt, um, want you to jump in here. But these individuals are not necessarily looking at a career in the House where they want to climb up leadership. They're looking at branding themselves uh, to becoming socially. No, and, and remember, it's, it's not just cloud. Uh, these guys uh, then use that notoriety to raise yeah. money online. So you 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 have people you have people for whom picking fights inside their own party is a profitable venture, yeah. and they are essentially entrepreneurs uh, who have no interest in being a team member because they would have less notoriety, less money, and less following if they actually worked with their yeah, colleagues. Yeah, it's a new form of crony capitalism in a way, <laughs> a very destructive one. And the analogy yeah. to me, I, I've used it before, is if you look at where conservatives are, we're essentially in, in Washington, D.C., they're in the Alamo, and the left is the Mexican army. Uh, and rather than having our guns pointed at the Mexican army, uh, you've got guys fighting in the Alamo amongst themselves. That's kind of the reality that 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 we're facing. Right. So, New, what do you think the prospects are looking ahead, not just with Trump, but in the House? I mean, do you think the message is resonating uh, or right. or do you think that there are mistakes being made there as well? Well, I, th- I think, first of all, when you have huge tides of history, um, a lot of the stuff that that those of us who love politics pay attention to uh, just sort of disappears. Uh, it's, it's sort of like when you have a tsunami, it washes away a lot of stuff that would not normally have been affected. Um, I think that um, you have two different things going on. You have an absolutely remarkable multi-year campaign by Donald Trump, uh, which now is in its ninth year, going back to when he first came down the, ele- the escalator in 2015. Um, and uh, so on the one front, you have somebody who has – you know, crisscross the country who has friends in every single state and who has built a national system. Really the first um, <clears throat> president to lose office and, and try methodically to come back since Grover Cleveland did it uh, in 1892. Uh, second, you have um, the combination of Biden's incompetence and the uh, left's radicalism which is both on a performance level and on a values level, driving people out of the Democratic Party at an amazing rate. And uh, those two things, the strength of Trump and the uh, increasing opposition to Biden, create the potential to have a a very, very big election where you pick up a lot of seats in the House, uh, you clearly gain control of the Senate, you win the presidency. And the question is, can you design that campaign so that you have the support of the American people to actually impose uh, the level of change that we need as a country if we're going to get back to governing ourselves. Because you know if, if, that ha- if, if what I described happens uh, and we end up with a Republican House, Senate, and White House, uh, the left will literally just go nuts. I mean, it, it will be a very, very interesting couple of years as they do everything they can to undermine and repudiate uh, the people, the American people have chosen uh, to lead to the that country. point. I mean, Donald Trump has just had a historic win in Iowa, but that doesn't take away the legal challenges he faces on a number of fronts. In your mind, how legitimate are those charges and wh- where do you see those two kind of forces combined? Let's say that the political momentum continues to be with Donald Trump, but then legally he continues to 
not prevail, what happens then? Well, I think that um, he, I, um, look, I, th- I think in the end, the country is going to repudiate the legal attacks because they believe they're profoundly dishonest. I mean, uh, the, the number of people who now believe that all of this is an abuse of power. So you don't, you don't have the rule of law, you have the rule of power. Uh, and of course, you have bizarre things like uh, the Fulton <laughs> County District Attorney, Fannie Willis, turning out to have paid, I think, $600,000 in taxpayers' money to her boyfriend, who was then taking her on vacations. Uh, that may throw that may throw the entire yeah. case yeah. in Georgia yeah. out. With all the different people who have been indicted and harassed and had to spend money, the whole thing may just collapse of its own. Uh, in New York, you have a bitterly anti-Trump judge and a bitterly anti-Trump uh, attorney general of New York who are trying to rig a fraud case in which not a single person, not one, has alleged that there was fraud. <laughs> uh, every single person Trump dealt with said, no. he paid me back. Right. What are you guys doing? But this this is so blatantly, stupidly yeah. political that, again, I think it all blows up. And I think that goes probably to the uh, appeals court in New York, and they probably send the case back and give it to a different judge uh, and demand a jury trial because historically – you cannot have a judge determining value. Uh, by definition, value is a matter of dispute, and therefore it's going to be settled with a jury, not with an individual personality. I think uh, third, you have a radical judge in Washington presiding over a case brought by a radical attorney who had already been rebuked by the Supreme Court for lying and cheating in an earlier public integrity case, trying to d- develop a case in Washington, D.C., which voted uh, 95% for Biden and 5% for Trump. You go to any average normal American and say, do you think if you're in an area where people voted 19 to 1 against you, that it's going to be pretty hard (laughs) to get a fair trial? And they'll just think you're nuts. And that case, I predict, will collapse of its own weight. There's a strong argument now being made by Reagan's attorney general and two of uh, uh, Justice Scalia's law clerks that, in fact, uh, Smith was appointed uh, improperly and does not have the uh, right to try the case. Uh, so that you could actually end up in the next two months with all this stuff yeah. just collapsing. Uh, and it's all like the Russia yeah. hoax. Just, just remember, the Russia hoax, after years of investigation, after the FBI got involved, after the New York Times and the Washington Post won Pulitzer <laughs> Prizes reporting falsehoods, um, it all just disintegrated because it turned out to be a gigantic yeah. lie. Well, I think you're going to find almost all these things. You know, if, if, if Trump developed the concept of fake news, uh, we ought to find some way of developing the concept of fake accusations. <laughs> or fake law, right. something to that effect. Yeah. No, fake I mean, law. I think, uh, Newt, you're highlighting a point that I think I've made uh, before, which is that a lot of what uh, the left is doing, they have so much power in Washington, D.C., uh, but these actions reek of desperation, not of strength. They have the strength and the power, but I think they see uh, the potential for what can be done uh, if Trump is reelected. Um, it's the hysteria. It's the fear uh, that you talked about earlier, but it's also they know how effective it can be because he's mission oriented. And that's what I've said before that, you know, uh, Donald Trump's superpower 
is that he has this remarkable ability to bring out the absolute worst in his opponents. Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, I mean, they do they do the dumbest things. <laughs> These are smart. They're the dumbest things. We're going to, you know, we're going to try to get him off the ballot by right. uh, taking him to uh, court. So um, I think that is um, something that, that they're going to continue to do and continue to fail at. Uh, Newt, a broader issue uh, when you look at Trump and the question of the Iowa caucuses in the primary is the future of conservatism. Now, I hear this a lot from people who don't like Trump. They don't like him for either personal reasons, but they'll also fall back in the mode of saying, well, you know, he's not Ronald Reagan and he doesn't have Ronald Reagan's ideas. Of course, forgetting the fact that conservatism has changed with the times when Reagan was president in 1980. The challenges he faced were quite different than the challenges we faced before. But as somebody who was of the Reagan uh, era, that that Reagan uh, class that moved the country forward, looking at Trump, talk a little bit about how they're wrong, that 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 I think really Reagan would be very comfortable, maybe with not all the the personal things that Trump does, but the policy side and the philosophy side. I think Reagan would 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 embrace a lot, if not everything that Trump has pushed for. Well, I, I, I try to tell people that I don't think Trump in the William F. Buckley national review sense is a traditional conservative. I think Trump is the most effective anti-left politician of my lifetime, including Reagan. And the reason is Trump applies common sense and doesn't accept the language of the elites. And so when something's truly dumb, Trump says that's really dumb. Uh, and you know, if you regard controlling the border as conservative, Trump's for it. If you regard cutting taxes as conservative, Trump's for it. If you regard balancing the budget as conservative, Trump's for it. Uh, so I go down a list and I, I don't, you know, he, he is a populist conservative, but I actually think that's a good thing. I think the, the great strength of the Republican Party of Abraham Lincoln or Theodore Roosevelt or William McKinley was it appealed to working people. It appealed to everyday folks. It wasn't isolated in country clubs and ivy towers. And I think that uh, what Trump has done is uh, really begin to rebuild, ironically, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt coalition by bringing in people uh, of all backgrounds. He's now doing uh, particularly well with Latinos. He's doing better and better with Asian Americans. Uh, he is starting to penetrate, uh, particularly with African-American males. Uh, he's doing very, very well with uh, working blue-collar uh, whites. And, and you can see it in Iowa. I mean, what, where, where did Haley, uh, Nikki Haley have any, any hope at all? University of Iowa, Iowa State. Uh, as long as there were college professors <laughs> and as long as it was a, a place where you had lots and lots of people who had gone to school long enough to be truly stupid, uh, you, then they did fine. The minute you got out of those counties, Trump was winning by huge margins. And that's because everyday common sense people understand that a great deal of what Washington says is just plain baloney and not true and not productive. It's crazy to think that a populist like Donald Trump, who is expanding his appeal to new demographics, can be so divisive and can also then turn off the people to the extent that he is. And that's actually what I wanted to ask you about, uh, Mr. Gingrich. I remember a time when after you became speaker, you had a celebrity from Saturday Night Live, Chris Farley, comes to Washington, D.C. and plays you yes. in the halls of Congress. And it's a really funny thing, and you were incredibly good-natured about it. And it was this fun, bipartisan sort of celebration of the merger of politics <laughs> and culture. It was just fun. But that could never happen right. today. You would never have an elite celebrity, I think, come and, and celebrate 
and participate in anything with a conservative politician. And I guess I just wonder if you think about that and, and why you think that that moment in our history seems to have passed us by. Do you think that's Donald Trump or do you think there's just other forces? Do you think culture follows the lead of if our politicians are unwilling to compromise, well, right? Has culture followed suit? I mean, first of all, Chris Farley, I suspect, was a Republican. <laughs> uh, so, so he was. So he so he was willing to take the risk. It's it is it's on YouTube. It's a, it it's a great segment, and uh, John Boehner arranged it. I had no idea it was going to happen, uh, and all of a sudden, they, you know, in comes the new speaker, Chris Farley. He does a great job, uh, and it was and everybody had fun. Um, I think um, Theodore White captured this in the making of the president in 1972, when he's trying to describe why McGovern is now trapped on the hard left. And he has a sentence where he says that the liberal ideology had hardened into a liberal mm. theology and it was no longer negotiable. And you've now had that metastasized since 1972. So you've had 50 years of an increasingly hard line, increasingly anti-American, increasingly woke system, uh, which actually invents fantasies. It, I think that we don't really appreciate how much the left now lives in an alternative universe. I, I tell people that the uh, uh, the left basically, and the reason they can't deal with violence, whether it's Hamas's attack on October 7th or the Russian attack against Putin or I mean, against Ukraine or violence in our big cities, is that good liberals have all seen The Lion King and thought it was a documentary. <laughs> and so... You know, they actually think that lions and zebras sing and dance together. Uh, and that uh, when you say to them, well, you know, lions do actually eat zebras. They go, no, no. Didn't you see the movie? Don't you understand? And that's why you end up with this. I mean, I just I just tweeted uh, today. I mean, you now have Biden not only doesn't have the courage to stand up to Iran. Apparently, he's not going to stand up to his own White House staff who are going to uh, go out and demonstrate against his policy. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, I mean, yeah, and I, I agree with Speaker Johnson, who said every federal employee who goes out to demonstrate should be fired. Yeah. I mean, th you know, that's a fundamental violation of what, the whole concept of a civil service. Yeah. Um, and if they don't want to do what the elected president of the United States has asked them to do, their answer is to resign. It's perfectly reasonable to resign, but not to say, I'm going to go outside for a couple of hours, yell about how bad you are, <laughs> And then come back into my job. Uh, it shouldn't, be, but it tells you the the stunning level yeah. of weakness uh, about dealing with things on the left. Unless, of course, you're a conservative, in which case they hate you and they smear you and they try to destroy. Yeah, you. and to that point, um, the last year we we wanted to touch on, of course, was China. Um, and to your point, um, I had hopes early on as we started seeing the rise of the China threat in the last decade that you would see a bipartisan consensus develop. And you kind of see it at at some level about alliances and a few trade policies. But I don't see uh, the Democrats any more willing to entertain the notion that China is a threat, that China China views itself as our adversary, maybe even our enemy, that their way of life is antithetical to, to, to ours. Uh, so, Newt, help me out. Any hope for a bipartisan, bipartisan consensus on really strong, firm action as it relates to China? Uh, I think that there's a possibility over time. But again, if you if you start with... Uh Gene Kirkpatrick's famous 1984 convention speech, where she described the San Francisco Democrats 
as Blame America First. And again, this is 1984, so it's a good good time ago. Uh, and you think about it, um, there are a lot of left-wing people who actually identify more with China than right. with the United States. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they're sympathetic. After all, if the Chinese, if, if Xi Jinping feels like he has to occupy Taiwan, who are we to yeah. say no? Uh, and I think, I think it's, it's the same psychology which leads them to side with Hamas and Hezbollah against Israel. Uh, there's a, because Israel's greatest sin on the left is that it's pro-American. I mean, if Israel was anti-American, they'd feel more comfortable trying to help the Israelis. Uh, so I think you have this deep revulsion, and I think it's hard to overstate that uh, in probably 30 or 40 percent of the Democratic Party now, uh, there is an automatic assumption that the United States is wrong and whichever country you're talking about yeah. is right. No, I, th I think that's accurate and I think that's true, Newt. Um, I know that we've talked a lot about threats and challenges that we face in America today and it can be kind of gloomy, but I know that you are inherently an optimist uh, as I am. So we appreciate you very much making the time uh, and joining us here to talk about these wide variety of issues. I encourage everybody to pick up Defeating Big Government Socialism. It came out last year, but very, very relevant to the debates and the challenges that we face today. Eric, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think that um, what I love is that Newt takes a look at what we focus on here at the Government Accountability Institute, and it's the merger of big business and big government. Uh, big government is good for big business, and big business is the reason why government continues to grow, and we try to expose the people that have profited off of it with what we do, and I think uh, you know, Mr. Gingrich has done an excellent job of continuing to talk about that, so we appreciate the time. We actually did a whole we did a whole hour right. special about how wealthy Washington DC has become. And so you're absolutely right. The power and the weight of DC, yeah. I think dominates in a way that people don't appreciate. So we appreciate you bringing it up. Yes. Well, thank you new for joining us. And we thank you for the, right. and Glad we thank you the you. audience for as always. Right. Thank you. New, and we thank you the audience for listening. Take care. Take care. Bye new. Thank you. Well, we thank you, Newt, for joining us, and we thank you, you, the audience, for always taking the time to listen to this program. You can find out more about the work that we're doing at thedrilldown.com, and you can find the podcast wherever fine podcasts are located. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.